I'd like for you to turn to Mark chapter 14, verse 3. Now, you know, when I was pastoring, I never did many seasonal sermons. I never liked doing that. So Julio begged me. He said, even though you're really not going to talk about Christmas, would you please bring it in a little bit? So I'm trying. And I'm going to talk about a gift today. We are in the season of gift giving. And instead of focusing on the obvious, I'm going to focus on something that was demonstrated that is truly, truly a gift. We want to go to Mark 14, verse 3. It says in verse 3, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flax of very costly oil of spikenard. Now the parallel narrative is in John 12, and it adds some very interesting facts. Yes, it was in fact in the house of Simon the leper, but there were some other people there. And by the way, this was six days before the Passover. The Passover in 31 AD landed on what day of the week? Friday. Which meant that if this was six days before the Passover, this incident that I'm going to share with you today occurred on what day? On the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is enhanced again by the gift that is being presented here that illustrates an infinite gift that was given us. Plus, in John 12, adding to the story, it says that Martha and Mary were there and Lazarus, who had been resurrected from the dead at that time, And it says, Martha is serving. Remember the other story where Martha was serving and she started complaining, saying, would you get that lazy sister of mine to help me out? And Jesus again didn't come to her, Martha's defense, but said, she's doing really what everybody ought to be doing, sitting at my feet and listening to my words. Well, here in John 12, it it doesn't say anything about Martha complaining, but she's serving. And there's Lazarus. He's sitting at the table. Actually, they didn't sit like we sit at a table. They were reclining. That's the way they ate in those days. And here's this woman, it says here in Mark 14. Well, we know in John 12, that's Mary Magdalene who came in. So it says... He said at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flax. Now, some places it says box, but it wasn't a box. It was kind of a, a long type flask. In fact, just recently, having visited the Egyptian museum, I saw some alabaster flax, flax that actually belonged to King Tut. Now, they were big. They stood on the floor. But this one was probably smaller. But that was the kind of thing that she had in her hand. And it said here, it was had very costly oil. This was from India. This was very 
aromatic type oil that was in this flask. Then it says, she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii, which was a year's wages. Now, we all make a year's wages. We don't know what each one makes, but it's a lot of money. Maybe 30, maybe 50, maybe 70, maybe much more, whatever. That was a year's wages in those days, 300 denarii. And they were complaining, and it said, for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. In the Greek, that's intense, just really going after her. And what did Jesus say? Let her alone. Same kind of thing he said at that other incident. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She's done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. I just want to say that as we enter these very last days of earth's history, what is it we need the most? What is it we need the most? We need an appreciation and an understanding of the gift of the cross like never before. What is going to change the world? What is going to change the world? The Mosaic Health Code? As good as it is. What is it that grabs people's attention? I believe there's only one answer to all of our problems, to all of Earth's problems, and that is an understanding and appreciation of the cross of Christ. Now, we want to look this morning at what the cross did for one whose past life was a tragic mess, Mary Magdalene. This is a story of a woman who was so twisted that Jesus had to cast seven devils out of her. Think about what occurred here. This was a men's meeting. This was for men only. And the only role that women had was to serve the food. Mary never was interested in serving food. She was always interested in some irrational way, some other thing that nobody seemed to appreciate. But I'm telling you, folks, if you think for the next few minutes about this story and about this act, you will see that it is the illustration, the illustration of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. When she broke that flask, and she probably didn't even know it. She wasn't really fully consciously aware what she was doing. But when she broke that, 
she was presenting to the world the same spirit of love and sacrifice which Jesus' life and death exemplified. This act, this one simple, irrational act, was, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful, one of the most heart-touching deeds ever performed by a repentant sinner. And to Jesus, who just six days later would descend into the hell of the cross, this was welcome evidence that mankind, humanity, his character, what he's been born with can actually be changed. And that man can come to appreciate divine things and what he was about to take place, to, to, to do. And he must have carried this all the way to the cross. When he, in the midst of those three hours of darkness, when he said, why have you forsaken me? Did he for a moment remember what Mary had done six days before? And said, boy, is this worth it? They're all spitting at me. They're all jeering at me. Is this worth it? Is this worth going through all of this for humanity? And it must have struck him. Boy, I remember. I remember Mary six days ago. And what she did. The world owes a debt to Mary. Encouraging him in his hour of greatest need. The twelve ran away. They didn't give him any courage or encouragement. They ran away. But Mary, the despised one, the the black sheep of the family, so to speak, from Lazarus and Martha's point of view, she's the one, through her act, that must have encouraged him. I'm not even sure Mary knew what moved her to do such a strange offering. Except to say that it's that inscrutable, mysterious equation that we call love. Try to understand love. You can't really, you can't really get the parameters on this thing that we call divine love. The Bible calls it in the Greek the agape. Listen, agape love, the love that is talked about in Scripture is not the kind of love between parent and child or husband and wife or brother and brother. It's it's totally different. It's something that human beings cannot create. It is totally distinct. But I'm telling you, Mary caught it. She caught it. I don't know. It had to be love for her to spend all that she had to buy this silly oil and to do what she did with it. She was so completely unable to defend her action that Jesus had to come to her 
own defense because nobody else would. But you see, Jesus had to defend her because by defending her, he was defending himself and his cross because what he was about to do was the same thing. Because at the end of the day, the cross to the human mind is unreasonable and irrational and wasteful. But that's the gospel. Well, I believe, as I said before, that the appreciation of Mary's deed is necessary to understand the gospel that is to go to the whole world in the last days. In fact, Jesus thought it was so important. What did he say in verse 9? He said, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And today, on December 11, 2010, we're going to talk a little bit about this woman and what she did. I believe Mary's deeds, deed illustrates Jesus' sacrifice for us. And I want to look at it in three ways. I want you to consider three things as we look and ponder what Mary did that Sabbath six days before the Passover. Consider, first of all, the motive. People do a lot of things during Christmas time, don't they? You know, uh, we do a lot of good things. That's why it always used to bug me, you know. I don't want to talk about Christmas. Let's let's have the spirit of Christmas all year round. I don't like everybody getting holy around this time. All right, let's do it all the time. But that's just something I'm bugged about, okay? But consider the motive. Do we ever do anything out of pure motive? Or do we do things to get a return on our investment? Think about Mary. She had no hope or reward. Can you believe a year's wages being draining all over the floor? She wasn't going to be able to sell that a little bit at a time. She just took it and she broke it out of some motive in her life because she wanted to do it because she saw something in Jesus that he was about to do that was so pure and unadulterated that she had to express it somehow. You know, you never hear Mary talk. You hear Martha talk, but you never hear Mary talk. Maybe she was tongue-tied, but she always did things by action. You see, now there is something that gives you the key to agape love. Agape love is not an emotion. It's a principle. And how do we show love? Not because we feel it, because we act. So Mary is acting out agape love. There is no hope of reward, no desire of peace. You know, I love my children, and I hope they love me back. I love my wife. I hope she loves me back. 
I love my brother, I think they love me back. I don't know. But but you see, agape love is so different because it doesn't matter whether you love them back. You operate in agape love not because you're going to get anything in return, but in spite of the fact you're not going to get anything back maybe. That's the kind of love that was implanted in Mary's heart that the disciples and Simon the leper had no idea what was going on. But she did, this woman. She had no desire for praise. We're told that she kind of snuck into the room to do this. And hopefully no one would notice. But now, come on, right? You're going to break a year's wages of aromatic oil from India and nobody's going to know? Well, she wasn't thinking. She wasn't reasoning. She was, ah, that mysterious equation of love was operating. I don't care about all that. Love alone, the biblical love that I'm talking about, was the guiding principle. It was pure. And that, you see, is the reflection of Jesus' love for us. What was Jesus' motive? We may try to account for the mysterious act of Calvary, but we only return to the realization that no reason can be given for what he did, what God did for us. How many of us, if we looked down upon planet Earth today, we would say, man, let's just erase it and start over. But he didn't. Because love alone was his motive. It's a disinterested love. It's, it's, it's a love that operates without any desire for personal security. Believe me, when the Lord was on the cross in those three hours when he couldn't see his father, he was not desiring personal security for himself. He was letting it all go. He was saying, actually, I will die eternally for the sake of these few people that might respond. What's your motive for service? What's your motive for being a Christian? What's your motive for being here today? Is it so heaven can be yours? Heard a man say once back in Iowa where I came from, he says, I can't wait till I go to heaven so I can hunt and fish. Even then, I thought, it's a bit strange. Well, we don't hunt and fish, but do we want Jesus to come so uh, we can leave this world? Do we do our service because, well, we'll hasten it up and I can get out of here so we won't have to pay bills or taxes or all these things that we have to deal with? Do we want Jesus to come because we're tired of this world? Uh, do we jump on the gospel bandwagon because we know that it's going to take us to where we want to go? Well, okay, we're human. We like 
to think that what we're doing is going to be worth it. But what if eternal life was not yours? If suddenly you found out that, you know, there isn't any life beyond death, that God isn't going to give you that, you know. And the ancient Egyptians, only the Pharaoh had the um, life beyond. Everybody else just died and were dead. That was it. Could you still serve? How many of us would stand when the champions are few and say, hey, hey, you know, there's nothing in this for me. Why am I going through all of this? I don't want to read minds or hearts, but I still got to believe that maybe there's some of us in church because we know this is the winning team. And we are determined to be on the winning team. Okay, we'll give you that a little bit, but that's not biblical love. That's not biblical love. Biblical love seeks nothing in return. Uh, we better be careful. We might get into the merit points and the Phariseeism. And uh, I tell you, if you do that, if you think I'm going to do this so I can get a reward, it's time to grow up spiritually. Okay, you can start out that way. The Bible certainly gives that to us. That Okay, if you're going to start out, maybe you want to be thinking about what you're going to get out of it. But eventually, eventually, you'd like to grow up. And follow God because of who he is, not what he can give you. He's not a Santa. See, I brought in a little more Christmas there. All right. I tell you, that kind of religion can crush you. Beat you up. Mary's act was free and unadulterated. And this must have just thrilled Jesus' heart. Wow! Wow! This is going to work. The plan of salvation is going to work. Somebody responded. The rulers didn't respond. The priests didn't respond. The silly disciples had something else in mind. But Mary, the second-class citizen, the black sheep perhaps, the goofy one, the weird one, she, she responds. And she does something. Oh, it must have thrilled Jesus' heart. Because she was a demonstration that, yes, man's heart can be broken and pure, sweet motives can flow. Moses, remember Moses, he says, take my life to save your people. Paul even said, it's better for me to be accursed than for you. Well, I also want you to consider not only the motive, but consider the extent of the sacrifice. And this shines brightest when compared with the sacrifice of Jesus' offering of himself for us. He said, in response to all the griping, he said, leave her alone, she hath done what she could. In other words, she has done all that she could She couldn't do any more than what she did. And he too has done what he could. When God gave us the gift of Jesus, he couldn't give more. There was nothing more he could give. Now we we give gifts. 
we give gifts. We give our tithe and our offerings, but we still get to hold things back. We don't give all. Most of us. Soldiers in Afghanistan, Iraq, they did. Give all. Have you ever given to where you can't give more? I, I, I haven't. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, when, he, when God gave him as a gift to humanity, there was nothing more he could do. We don't know if Mary was ever rewarded in a temporal way for the almost endless days of humble toil expended in the purchase of that ointment. But I would like to think that he who emptied himself might find some reward for his sacrifice. Maybe we don't have an alabaster flax to break. But could we have just a few tears of repentance and appreciation with which to wash his feet? Jesus, can you find seven devils to cast out that we might learn to love as Mary? Third point, consider the motive You consider the sacrifice, the extent of it, infinite. Consider also the magnificence of what occurred. And this shines brightest when likened to the magnificence of Jesus' sacrifice. There those disciples were, those big shot disciples looking down on the woman. And their reasoning was, well... (coughs) That's a nice thing, but why not use a little ointment? You could have done the same thing. Just like we do when we do um, anointings. I used to do anointings all the time. I always had this little thing here, and I'd put it on my finger, and I'd anoint. So that was kind of, that's the reasonable way. You know, the affordable way. Now, just a little bit, Mary. Why this extravagance? Why waste all of this, this this precious ointment? Look, it's running waste on the floor. Just a few drops on the head, Mary, that would have been enough. We'd have gotten the picture. Now, if we'd have been there, where would we have been in that? I have a feeling that maybe some of us would not have taken a different stand than the disciples. Mary had done something that was to all human appearance irrational irrational and wasteful. 300 denarii, a year's wages. For what? That that was enough to to feed 5,000, besides women and children. See, I kind of think that if we had not known the outcome, What would we have thought of this apparently senseless extravagance? How many managers and committees uh, 
would approve of such an expenditure? Who among us would not have sympathized with the disciples and their feelings of outrage? And Judas, I have always been, I have always had this burden for the poor. Now, why did you do this? We could have taken that and we could have given it to the poor and got a tax deduction. This emotionally disturbed woman. She deserves rebuke. And they criticized her intensely. Ah, we probably would have stood back, Judas. He was respected in his apparent regard for the poor. And she would have been defenseless. She wouldn't have known what to say. Well, I, 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 you know, but Jesus stepped in and he defended her. And because he defended her, we, 20 centuries later, we can agree. We go, yeah, well, that was, yeah, that's right. She did good. Uh, but you know, he could have, uh, turned around and said something like, uh, alright, leave her alone. She, she did all this. Okay. Now, Mary, you know, you didn't really have to do that. Uh, I mean, he could have placated the disciples. And then turned around to Mary and say, well, you know, it was a good thing you did, but you didn't really have to do it like that. You know, I appreciate your goal. I just don't like your methodology. He was really reckless in the way that he defended her. Hear Jesus' voice. Above all that griping and complaining, he said, let her alone. She's done what she could. In other words, she did something that you guys don't even understand. But she came to anoint me for the burial. Did you know that I'm going to die? Have I been telling you that for a long time? And you guys don't get it? But this little woman, she gets it. Says, she has wrought a good work in me. You see, hers was a true charity, much more than the disciples who had their apparent regard for the poor. Now sometimes in our guilt we give to the poor to to placate this annoying guilt that I have so much. But you see, hers was a truer charity. Her deed was a parable of divine love, a vehicle for the proclamation of the gospel. In defending her, Jesus was defending himself and his cross. Today, the human heart, in its natural state, is unable to appreciate the magnificence of the cross of Calvary. We question sometimes, why give the life of Jesus, a ransom for many when only a few comparatively will respond. Why pour out a Niagara of self-sacrificing love when all but a trickle seemingly runs to waste? Why sacrifice sufficiently to redeem all Why pay such a price for rebellious mankind? It's not good business. It's extravagant. 
Why not restrict the love and its expression to a few who will respond rather than pour out such an infinite waste that seems so senseless and so useless? (sighs) Couldn't there be a more thrifty way, God? Why? Why the Son? Why the Son? Why the second person of the Godhead? Lowering himself to such a level. I can only say this. You'll understand what I'm saying. That love is never genuine unless it is prodigal. Unless it is wasteful. True, genuine love never stints. Never stints. Love never calculates. Believe me, Mary's oil did not come at bargain basement prices. She didn't buy it at at Walmart. She couldn't do any less. She bought it at a price that was a year's wages. Imagine her going to the shopkeeper. Here's Mary. A woman, that's always one shot against you in that time. And he probably looked at her and said, well, I'll give you a little bit of this. This this is probably what you can afford. She said, no, 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 no. I want something more expensive, more expensive, more expensive. Well, you don't want to, you don't want this. You can't afford, yeah, I can. Give me that, give me that, give me that oil. Give me the most expensive oil. You're going to pay a year's wages on this oil? What are you going to do with it? I can see it. Because, you see, her motive couldn't be anything less. Could God's love for us do less than his utmost? He did not think how to affect salvation at the least possible expense to himself. Jesus left heaven, he left the palaces, the devotion of angels, the throngs of the infinite universe, even life eternal he put at risk. His companionship with the Father, all Christ gave freely, spending it on us, giving of himself. An ocean of the water of life to be expended lavishly. And the only returns it's going to be is a few fragile earthen vessels filled with some tears of repentance. Uh, To him, how infinitely precious must be those tears. Okay, I'm not going to win the whole world. I'm going to win some. And those some are going to be most precious to me. Most precious to me. Thank you, Mary, for showing us that the cross of Christ was worth it. Now you say, well, that was Mary. That was Jesus. What about me? I don't see that in me. How can I experience that love? I'm not Jesus. 
Kind of like, you know, I read books about Einstein and say, I'm not that. Never can get that. You say, Richard, I can, I, I can see what you're saying, but I just can't reach that high. I, I just can't get those kind of motives. I, I can't. No, you can't reach that high, but he can reach that low. Because this kind of love is received, not achieved. It's obtained, not attained. It's the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits are His. There was really nothing great or virtuous about Mary. Mary was like us. In some cases, a lot worse off than us. But she, as opposed to the disciples, let the Spirit do His work. And when the Spirit is allowed to do His creative work, He reproduces people in the likeness of Christ because the Spirit can do nothing else. That work is obtainable. It's receivable to you and me.